This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malad. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 1. This season highlights the stories of immigrants and refugees from all around the world, as well as some organizations that work with and for these beautiful people. My guest today is Shakur Manaf. He is a 23-year-old Rohingya refugee whose family is originally from Myanmar, but who fled to Malaysia before Shakur was born. Shakur currently works as a community navigator at the Immigrant and Refugee Center of Northern Colorado. He is an incredible human being. He inspired me from the moment we sat down to talk. He is overwhelmingly optimistic. He is so happy to be living in the U.S. and is thrilled to be able to help others. A quick side note before we begin. I apologize in advance for the background noise during this interview. There were some extenuating circumstances outside of our control, and we just decided to make the most of it, just like life. Hope you enjoy the interview. Um, My name is Shukur Manaf, and I'm originally from uh, Myanmar. It was used to be uh, called Burma. Um, In around 1980s, my parents flew to Malaysia, it's a Southeast Asian country. So I was born there in Malaysia, although I never been to Myanmar once. You haven't? I haven't yet. Do you have the desire to? Well, I kind of do. I want to see my own, like, my, how do you say my parents' country, previous generation's country. Yeah, your history. Yeah, yeah. So how many brothers and sisters do you have? Right now, I got nine siblings nine siblings are they all still in malaysia just one of them the rest of them are right here in america are you all close together here in america or are you separated by different states my oldest brother he's still in malaysia but the second one uh, which is my sister she's in arizona with her husband Mm -hmm. but the rest of us brother and sister uh, are right here in Greeley. Nice. So I got, uh, I think, let me count. <laughs> One, two, three, uh, six brother. No, no, five brother in here and then one sister. Wow. Uh, and then my mom, yeah. Nice big family. And your mom's here too. Yeah, she is living with me. Excellent. Yeah. Lucky you. Before we move on to the next question, I'd like to take a minute to give a brief history of Myanmar so that we can have a better understanding of what Shakur's response is to us. The history of Myanmar is very complex, but it's very important to understand because of the current Rohingya refugee crisis. For the sake of time, I will give you the abbreviated version. The Rohingya are a Muslim minority population of Myanmar that have historically lived in the western province called Rakhine State. The first Muslims settled in that area alongside Buddhists in the early 1400s. They were advisors and courtiers in the court of the Buddhist king. 
But in the mid-1700s, an uprising in the south of Burma conquered that region, causing many of the Muslim minority to flee for their lives to Bengal because Buddhist invaders were executing every Muslim man they saw. Burma was the name that the British colonizers gave to the region in the mid-18th century. There were many wars between the British and the Burmese. Territories were seized and recaptured on both sides. Great Britain owned India, neighboring Bengal, and also desired Burma. The British encouraged many Rohingyans living in Bengal to settle in Rakhine State. The Buddhist majority did not like that many Muslim immigrants flooding their country. This was the beginning of ethnic and religious tension in Burma. The country gained independence from Great Britain in 1948. After several military coups in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, one general decided to rename the country Myanmar because he felt it was more inclusive of minority ethnicities, as well as the fact that it wasn't the name given to them by their colonizers. There was much unrest in Rakhine State between World War II and the 1960s. During that time, the Rohingyans advocated for a separate country within Rakhine State. When the military eventually took power, they cracked down on the Rohingyans and denied them citizenship and defined them as stateless Bengalis. Since then, many have fled to neighboring Thailand, Indonesia, and Malaysia, where they continue to live in limbo. They have become a stateless people. What caused your parents to leave Myanmar? I guess it's just the uh, economy, um, you know, problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, back at that time, my 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 mom were from Yangon, which is a capital of you know Myanmar, but my dad he was from uh, Rakhine State. After they you know they get married, they moved to Rakhine State and. The economy like really fell down. They have to flew to America, uh, Malaysia. Are there several different religious traditions living within Myanmar? Yes. Um, what are they? The the most two uh, you know common in Myanmar right now is uh, Buddhism okay. and Muslim. Okay. Right. And um, which religion is your family? Uh, Muslim. Muslim. Okay. Right. Those are the minority in the in Myanmar, correct? Right. And are they a little persecuted? I wouldn't say a little. <laughs> Me either. I once I, that once that came out of my mouth, I realized that was dumb, Corey. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I was just trying to say uh, it, it was it was a huge, you know, persecutions. A lot of people have to not have to. I mean, they were forced to get out of the uh, Rakhine State. You are living in this uh, village with no weapons or, I mean, you, you probably got weapons like swords or something, but Burmese government, they got like military swords, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. Assault rifle and all that kind of stuff. And they just did, you know, brag into your village and they kill them, they burn the, down the houses and then they, uh, you know. Yeah, what I've seen on the news has been horrific. And I'm sorry, I, I hate seeing that. I hate that a whole group of people is yeah. being forced from their ancestral lands. That's just not fair, not yeah. cool, and nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah. I'm a like really simple man. 
I don't believe in races uh, and somebody's land. I, I really don't. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If um, if someone from America, like right now, we got a situation in, in in the states right now. Yes, I felt the same. I felt the same for them as my as for the Rohingya ethnicity. I simply just don't believe in my race, my color skin. I believe that we came from. Um, you know, one cat, you're not supposed to be uh, killing others for race, uh, for for lands. I love that, Shakur. I love how you put that. I agree 100%. I hope that more people um, are able to start seeing the world through your lens. I think more people are. I think awareness is coming out there now. Yeah, because yeah. truly, there isn't race. Race is a made-up construct. Exactly. Um, culture is beautiful. It's different. You have different types of characteristics from all different people in all different lands. But race is really messing this up, the belief in race, isn't it? Belief in races, yeah. In all <laughs> countries. Not only here in America. I guess you've, you've seen and explained that it's happening in Myanmar. And we've seen it happen everywhere, all across Even the world. Across the world, yeah. Yeah, sadly. <clears throat> Sadly. How long did you live in Malaysia? I would say 20, 21 years. I'm 23 now, so I was here like two years ago. Yeah. So why didn't you want to just keep living in Malaysia? In Malaysia, even though we weren't living in like a, a detention center or anything, we were like in a, living in a small neighborhood. But for you to do anything like get a work, about a you know car or any kind of things, you can't. I mean, you, you just can't grow over there. You know what I'm saying? Is it too expensive of an economy? No, it's not. But we are undoc- undocumented, you know, refugee over there. They are not making any changes on that too. So we're gonna stay there forever, like like that. We're not gonna grow. We're not gonna get able to open up a business or you know, like anything. So we kind of had to move here. Yeah. So you're saying your opportunities were very limited in Malaysia because yeah. you were a refugee? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. It wasn't only us, you know, it's every undocumented refugee in, in Malaysia. Even though I was born in Malaysia, I didn't get any kind of uh, document like citizen or uh, permanent residents. So, did you just apply for an American visa and get one and move over here? Or what was your um, transition from Malaysia to the United States like? Right. It was a different than you said. Actually, so um, after my dad, you know, passed away on 2010, the UNHCR, the United Nations, I believe, they call us for an interview. They were asking us if you guys want to you know, move down to America. I, I was a little kid and I still don't, don't know why my, my mom turned it down, but she did. It was like 10 years ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't bother to, I, I didn't even bother to ask my mom why she turned it down. She got her own reason. But then after seven years later, suddenly we got this request again for an interview. 
I, I think it's just uh, the fact um, the fact that things that are happening in uh, Rakhine State mm -hmm. in 2015 something mm -hmm. it triggers the 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 government to do something about the people. People have been flowing to Malaysia for a while now, mm -hmm. so they know this Rohingya uh, final destinations. Mm -hmm. I, I would say mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Those people who are living right now, they would be sent to other country as a refugee. So the UN just reached out to you guys. You didn't yeah. apply or anything because no. they knew of the situation in Rakhine I, State. I believe so. Okay. You know, highly believed that my mom would turn it down to um, at that time. But her her son, her two son was here earlier, you know, before oh. us. Um, so, I mean, she said, okay, you know what? I don't want to be away from my sons. Um, let's go just move there and see what's waiting for us. Yeah. Did your mom speak any English at the time? No, no, no. none of us are. So you've only picked up English this well in two years? I believe so. <laughs> wow. So what languages did you learn in school in Malaysia? Just Malay? No, actually, we didn't go to school. We cannot go to school. We cannot buy anything. Oh, well, that's kind of a difficult life. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about that. I, you, so, I mean, when you said that refugees to Malaysia don't have any rights. I wasn't picturing not even going to school. Yeah. What did you do? How did you learn? How did you become so smart and educated? I will, I will tell you about a story about my brother. He got a friend in Malaysia, a Malay friend. So this kid here is going to school every day. What my brother did was he's paying him a dollar, I think, every day to teach him the alphabet and all that stuff. While he was, uh, you know, learning that alphabet, I always saw him doing his homework, and mm -hmm. I just picked it up right there. Wow. When I was a kid, I used to, like, like read books, uh, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like books. I used to be, like, really, really love books. I would just read them. You know, so did like, your brother teach you how to read? No. You just figured it out? Yeah, I did. Kind of did. You know, <laughs> you're just proof that but education happens when you're motivated, doesn't it? Exactly. Wow. I'm totally with you. <laughs> I am so impressed with you, Shakur. Yeah. <laughs> so no formal education, yet you know a ton. Uh, you kind of learned secondhand from your brother. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you did not have a lot of rights or freedoms in Malaysia, were you allowed to go to the library to pick up books? Or how did you come by the books? Uh, I, I bought them. I bought them. Bought okay. Them, yeah. um, and also watching this cartoon does really help. Incredible. Shakur's desire to learn is so strong that nothing will stop him, not even not being allowed to go to school in Malaysia. Thankfully, though, Shakur's parents were able to send him to religion school where he was able to learn the Quran and read Arabic. Sadly, it was during this two-year period where his dad passed away unexpectedly. After my, pa uh, my dad died, I spent another year at school, but then I, uh, I just stopped it. I was kind of in a depression uh, moment of my life. I lost my dad. Of course. Do you mind uh, me asking how he passed? 
Um, the, yeah, so he was in a vacation in another state in Malaysia to his family. And then he just, uh, one day uh, afternoon, he just, you know, fall down and lost his breath. Yeah. That no wonder. I mean, if I was a young boy, I would be devastated as well. Yeah. He was quite young as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, in in his forties. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, he was a good man. So I'm uh, sure the family felt lost after that. Like, where do we go? What do we do from here? Yeah, I think that's the same reason my mom turned down the uh, approach from the UN to come to America. Mm -hmm. She was she lost. She lost her one of just one one of her best friends. She was devastated, I guess. Yes, yeah. as she should be. So you started going to religion school after he passed away. Before. Before he passed away, and but then I, you were in a deep depression. And what what did life look like after he passed away for you? Um, I guess I uh, stopped going to a religion school. It's a funny story. I actually got uh, got a beat up from my brother because I don't want to go to school. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it was really cool because I was, I don't know what, what to say, what to do. I just kind of, okay, I, I don't want to go. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being reasonable at that time. So, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Depression does that to us, doesn't it? Yeah. But then... Um, a, a few years past, I started working in a job um, to help the family. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, like when I said that uh, we, we cannot grow, that's what I mean. No matter how many people in your house are working, you mm -hmm. cannot grow, you cannot build anything, you cannot save anything either. So it's constant survival mode? Yeah. That's you're hard. Just, you're just living there. Um, yeah, just living there, getting food and all that kind of stuff. Day to day. Day to day. Every and day. racism. No help the from time. the government. I don't know. No help from other Malaysians. Yeah. I, I think I was about 15 or something when I started working a construction job. I started mm -hmm. following my brother. Like I said again, um, Malaysian is, is like fully known as an abusive racism discrimination country towards other i'm not, I'm not gonna say victim but I, I always deal with those kind of things mm -hmm. every day how did you deal with them how did you learn to just go on like most of us most of us who look like me who are white have never had to deal with discrimination or racism so I can't imagine what I would do every day. I would, I imagine I would become pretty bitter and resentful, but you don't have that air about you. You're not a very bitter or resentful person. So how did you escape that? I, I just thought that it, was, it wasn't a big deal. You know, again, we don't have anything in there. We don't have a voice. We, 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 we don't matter. You're just living there for temporarily like they're doing the government the people are doing you a favor so you better you shut up or you can get the hell out of here so it was better living there than moving to another part of myanmar most people chose that yeah that yeah. was better <laughs> that was better that shows that you didn't have very many choices your parents had very few choices when they moved didn't they exactly. oh my goodness i can't imagine 
Well, my my parents were they wouldn't they didn't like learn a lot of Malay. All of those racial slurs wouldn't they wouldn't understand them. To answer your questions, I guess you just get used to it because you cannot do anything about it. Wow. So you just choose to get used to it, put your head down and go on. Yeah. Was there anything you came to like about the Malay culture while you lived there? I can't think of any. <laughs> you can't. But you, you came to understand the culture. If anything, you might not have liked anything, but you came to understand them. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm going to say not every people are bad. Some of them are good. True. So I made my first friend when I was 18. That's my, like, first friend in my whole life. When wow. I was 18. Yeah. The reason wow. I used... Um, get to be friend with him i so, you know like uh, when i told you i got a good job that was mm -hmm. a good job we would uh, always interact with each other about the work so that's how i made my first good friend who wasn't uh, racist or he see me as me you know not like others what did that feel like for the first time to be seen as you it was <laughs> It was unbelievable, I guess. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I mean, it was a good feeling, finally, if, uh, you know, when someone able to acknowledge you as who you are, um, just want to be friends with you. It mm -hmm. uh, doesn't matter uh, you are, you know, brown skin mm -hmm. and you're outsider. Malay people are kind of white, too. You know? Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. Were you surprised? You weren't expecting a Malay person? to want to be your friend since this was your first friend? I, so over the years, I changed my, how do you say, my lifestyle. I grew, I was evolving. That's the reason uh, people starting to notice uh, like the real me, you know? Mm -hmm. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Immigrant and Refugee Center of Northern Colorado making Northern Colorado a home for all who live here. Whatever circumstances brought you to Northern Colorado, we are so glad you're here now. IRC NOCO is here to help you find your way. We want to be the doorway through which cross-cultural sharing and experiences occur. Whether you are new to this area or you are a part of the receiving community, we want to be your resource for information and services related to moving our community forward together. Through information sharing, dialogue, and events where we can all come together as one, we are investing into our shared prosperity. Empower. Connect. Advocate. Learn more at www.ircnoco.org. In the upcoming section, Shakur explains what his refugee resettlement was like. It is a very complex and grueling 18 to 24 month security screening process before even stepping foot in the U.S. Once they arrive, the refugees are matched with a local resettlement agency that helps them navigate their first few months. In coming episodes, we're going to be talking to one such agency called Lutheran Family Services that Shakur mentions in his response. 
Admittedly, the focus of the U.S. is to encourage the refugee to enter the workforce as soon as possible. Shakur laments this experience of resettlement and wishes that more time was dedicated to education so that he could have gained better employment. Studies in the European Union have shown that refugees who speak the local language at beginner level or less have an employment rate of only 27%. This more than doubles to 59% for those with intermediate language skills. All the websites and documentation for the refugee resettlement process and statistics can be found in the show notes on my podcast host site, gramercy.transistor.fm. So you said that the UN reached out to your mom a second time to invite you to move. Um, Did you know at the time it was going to be to the United States? Yeah. Okay. And since you mentioned that since your mom... Um, had two sons already living in the States that she was willing to try it. Uh-uh. Did your brothers kind of explain what living in the United States was like to you guys? Did you already have an idea or preconception of what living here would be like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they kind of did. Um, just a basic one. Mm-hmm. I mean, just about the system works, uh, healthcare and all that. Okay. What was your biggest surprise when you moved here that you thought you knew what to expect but this came as a surprise to you (laughs) yeah that's a really good question Uh, and it's actually one of the main things that I want to say to you as a Muslim kid uh, Mm -hmm. in a Muslim country in Malaysia we don't like America at all all they see is American as as a bad people Mm -hmm. you know that's what I I guess that's one of the reasons we didn't want to come here. You know what I'm saying, right? Like I do know what you're saying. Yeah. America, you know, America used to be like full of hate uh, towards Muslim people. Yes. Towards African American people. Yes. I kind of like learned all that. What I did imagine was living here. Uh, I'm gonna have to deal with those uh, with again with those kind of things that I dealt, you know, when I was a kid. So you are nervous about moving here because you'd only been taught that it wasn't a good place. They don't like Muslims. They don't like African-Americans or dark-skinned people. Yeah. And you were going to be met with resistance and dislike, right? Yeah. Okay. Was that true when you got here or was it different when you got here? It was a whole different. It was different. It was different. So yeah. in a good way or a bad way? In a good way, actually. Good mostly, way. mostly in a good way. Was it fear that was floating around and telling everybody that it was a bad place? Simply like it is here in the United States, how there's a lot of fear being said against Muslims. So I would imagine in a Muslim-majority country, there's a lot of fear against a Christian-majority country. So it's kind of, we're playing the same game, correct? Right. Okay. I don't want to think of myself as as a threat to others, and I also want to, you know, want them to feel like the same for to me too. Exactly. So when you got here, were people more friendly than you had expected? Yes. Yes. And let me let me just tell you this: I I've read Bible. Mm -hmm. I study Christian. Uh, it was all about 
good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so after that, I try to interact with people. Uh, I go to church just to listen to uh, you know to the uh, to my friends. Uh, some of the free priests are uh, good friends of mine. Mm-hmm. I made a good friend here. <laughs> I think that's incredible that in order to learn about the people that you live with, mm-hmm. you learn about their religion and you make friends with them. A lot of us can learn from that. That de-escalates any situation, right? Yeah. It says, hey, I'm your friend. I, I still believe in God just a different way than you do, but I respect your way. Yeah. What if we all did that? It's gonna Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be so awesome, I guess. Yeah. We should all follow your example. All I'm saying is just go out there and learn about them. I mean, mm-hmm. people are really nice. They just changed my whole whole life. But I do know that there is a problem with our systems, uh, with our government, uh, and not all not all American white American are, are bad. That you know, mostly nice. <laughs> so I, I like that's your takeaway. You've learned that the system is greatly messed up, but not everybody agrees with that system. You moved directly to Greeley. Colorado from Malaysia. The journey from Malaysia to America wasn't a good, uh, wasn't a good one. We kind of struggled to come here. I mean, with the all, with the plane, you know, it's our kind of a first time taking a plane, and it's they're all speaking English, and we we had like zero English. We got like a seven people on the same plane and uh, a family. With no interpreter. <laughs> no. No, not at all. I can't imagine how scary that was. It is kind of scary. But for some reason, though, me I got, and I got another brother. We were together able to uh, bought a lunch to eat at the <laughs> airplane, even though we didn't know how to speak a lang- uh, speaking uh, one word of English. We met it out. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's a little scary. And when you landed, was there an interpreter to help you then? No. We landed in Los Angeles, LA. Oh, Los Angeles. Uh huh. And then we took another plane to Denver. So when we land to Denver, that's when we uh, get to see LFS. Oh, Lutheran Family Services. Lutheran Family Services. Okay. That's when when that's when we saw her. Okay. Uh, although she speaks Burmese, I <laughs> I wasn't that I wasn't that good at Burmese at that time. And then oh, I think we spent like a few days, few months actually, going to uh, uh, IRC. Uh-huh. Uh, for classes? For classes. Yeah. You know, since we are getting some uh, benefit from the government. Mm-hmm. I've studied about, like, Sweden, uh, Germany, other countries, you know, like the ones that are receiving the refugees, immigrants. Mm-hmm. They got a system where they would, uh, you can stay here. We're going to send you to school. Mm-hmm. Take your time to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. from GED, from college, that's when you go to, uh, that's when you have to work. Before that, we're going to pay you for your rent, for your foods, for your expenses, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Until they, you know, they can, uh, how do you say, uh, return that favor to the government by getting a good job, 
or, you know. I hear you saying that these other countries give you longer time to um, improve your language, your education, and once you've reached a good education level and are able to attain a good job, then that's when they ask for any um, compensation back for all that they've helped you with. Is that true? Well, you know, when, when you said compensations, it means from the economy. Yes. So if you're working a good job, you are helping the economy to grow, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like you're giving them money. It's like, um, you're a smart guy, you got an education, you got a good job. And it's, a, it's good for the economy, for the mm-hmm. government. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, so they don't make you pay them back any money. They, they don't. Compared to the U.S., tell us that experience. Yeah. Um, I think it, it was only like four months I uh, was able to go to school, classes in uh, IRC. But the, the point is, the point is, um, I'm kind of a guy that never been to school. When I, uh, when I said I want to go to school, I want to go to high school, I want to get my certificate or anything. I don't want to just stuck here, you know. With, in America, they're going to pay your rent for three months, I believe. Just three months? That's Come on, dude. Not a lot. No, that's, it is not. What, what, what after that? What if you're a, a pregnant woman? Mm-hmm. Can you go to work after three months? Mm-mm. Are you still going to get the benefit? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yada, yada, yada. It just, the system is too... The, the gap is small. It is. You cannot potentially, you have a you know potential to grow, but you can't because they're kind of stopping you right there. So you, know you would I mean? like to see the U.S. give their refugees more time for education, to learn Edu- the language, to study, so they can be better equipped to get better jobs to contribute to the economy, right? Contribute to the economy. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. If you want to bring these people over here, at least make them feel like they're at home, you know? Exactly. So okay. you're not feeling that. You didn't no. feel like you were at home when you I did <laughs> I did Let me just give you an example. Okay. You go to Malaysia, you don't know the language. How are you going to, you know, you know, you, you speak like, uh, English. What if they don't? How are mm-hmm. you going to? Like feel like a whole. So true. You, know? you feel less than. I would only be able to take a very menial job if I moved there. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't know what I was doing. I would be scared all the time. All the time. Um, yeah. I'd be afraid. Maybe I was breaking a law because I didn't know the laws. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Knowing yeah. the language, having a good grasp of the language, is much more empowering. And, I mean, people who move here, they move from all different walks of life. There's people who have come here who are doctors in their home countries who have to start all over again because they don't know the language. And so the United States gives them menial jobs because they assume you must not be smart since you don't know the language. Yeah. Correct. And did you feel that way? Um, I kind of did actually. Mm -hmm. I, I was kind of angry. Um, I just think that, uh, you know what, this is really messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of bring us over here just to work, just to contribute to, to their uh, economy without any benefit on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. That's an excellent point that you bring up, Shakur. I 
see that that would be a fantastic way to change the immigration policies. Yeah. Um, it's win-win for the, the U.S. economy, and it's a win for the refugee because they get to further their education and take time to adjust however long that is. It's different for each person, isn't it? Exactly. And um, I want to put Colin Cannon on the spot here. Mm -hmm. He's my uh, mentor, my boss, my supervisor. Mm -hmm. He's always trying to do something about this uh, policy about mm -hmm. the you know immigrant and refugees. He's always, Colin, he's always passionate about it like he sure he, is yeah he's, he's so good at it yeah he's a good man huh? <laughs> and he you just mentioned he is your your supervisor and mentor and that is at the immigrant and refugee center of northern colorado correct yes ma'am yeah that is where you work tell us what your job title is and what it is you do so i'm a community navigator for rohingya um also you know help those who speak malay for me mm -hmm. Mostly the work that I do is from reading a paper to applying for a immigration uh, you know, mm -hmm. document. So you walk people through all the hard things that they have yet to understand. You're somebody that you wish you had when you moved here, aren't you? <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I wish I had a, I had someone like that when I came here mm -hmm. um, because they are not trying to teach you or anything. They're just giving you a, uh, they're acting like a bridge. Mm -hmm. You're right here, you know, and there's a river, which is a language barrier or, mm -hmm. you know, anything. So we act like a bridge so they could cross the bridge. That's wonderful. Uh, how many people would you say you've been able to help in the time that you have worked at the IRC? It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. I mean, pretty much you get two, at least one every day, you know. Wow. Yeah, but sometimes you got like 10, 15 in the same day. So I'm sure some of the people feel like you are their lifeline, somebody they can call when they don't know what to do, but you understand. <clears throat> yes, yes. But I always trying to, you know, try to encourage them about, um, okay, like when I do my job, I'm going to, mostly I'm going to tell them, okay, this is how you do it. So they could learn how to do it next time. You know what I'm mm. saying? So you're teaching them to be independent. Independent. Yeah. yeah. You're walking because. with them until they feel empowered enough to do it on their own. Exactly. And you're working in conjunction with the teachers at the school to all empower the students to feel like they can fit in in society. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, contribute. Contribute. You yeah. got to. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you got to put your uh, culture aside and, you know, just get a new culture. No. No. <laughs> you know. Yes. I I'm mean, glad you mentioned that. I had conversations like that with my students all the time. I don't want you to assimilate. I don't want you to take on this new culture as your own and leave your old culture behind. I want right. you to integrate. How can you best fit into this new culture and adapt right. and still hold on to all the things that are valuable to you from your culture? Right. And um, that is not an easy task, is it? 
Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Let me uh, just go back a little bit uh, back. Um, so I started working at JBS for about six months. JBS. And could you tell us what JBS is? Uh, JBS is a, a beef plant. Meat processing. Meat processing, plant. packaging, okay. slaughtering, all kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I worked there for about six months. I'm not getting anything from here. The money is good. The money is really good. Uh, I thought, okay, I, I don't like this. I don't want to be here. I want to try something else. In the meantime, Colin would ask me to come over to the center to interpret at the class when there was like uh, assemblies. I believe that's how I build my network with IRC. And one day, uh, Sultan, the previous, uh, the previous navigator, resigned, mm-hmm. I believe. And I just thought, okay, this is a good chance for me to apply. So I just thought, okay, hey, Colin, um, I hear that uh, uh, Sultan resigned. Are you guys hiring right now? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then he said, you know, some paper, the job descriptions. And then I went for an interview with Colin and Lisa, the director of the IRC. Mm-hmm. And then I got the job <laughs> last year. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I was a really good, uh, happy moment of my life. First, when I started working there, I was kind of selfish. I was just thinking about myself. I mean, like, yeah, I would help people, but also I'm going to get something for my own self, you know? Yeah. In a matter of fact, they are actually kind of helping me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not helping them. This is no joke. I'm not joking around here. There's like a hole in your, you know, in your heart, in, in your mind. When you do help these people, they're kind of helping you again to fill this hole. You know what I'm saying? People would say, you got a good job. You're helping these people. You are so nice. I mean, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, I didn't tell them. I was like, okay, yeah, right, whatever, dude. I, I'm just helping myself. The, the job is really good with the background, you know, mm-hmm. that I have. And I think you are doing an amazing job. I'm so glad you found a place to plug in, do what you know to do, help. Right. And in return, you are getting so much. You're getting so much love. You're getting so much healing. You're getting so much acceptance. And right. Do you have a large network of friends now? I got few, mostly uh, white people. Really? Yeah. And wow. also, um, <laughs> the kind of friends that I got are kind of like way different, not like way age different than me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like 50 years old, 60 years old. These people are kind of, you know, have a wisdom with them. So I try to more uh, attract with them, you know? I can understand that. I think having lost your father, your best wisdom figure in your life, I can see how you would be drawn to that, those types of people. And seeking <laughs> yeah. wisdom, right? Seeking wisdom. You meet amazing people everywhere you go, it sounds like. Yeah, they changed my mind about the America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I'm hoping this podcast does. I hope that this is like, for a lot of people, this is like meeting a new person who changes their mind because they've never encountered this type of person or these types of ideas or these types of situations before. How many languages do you know? 
Well, I think I picked six uh, fluent language. Unbelievable. Yeah. List them, list them for me. English, Malay, and then Rohingya, my own language. And then I speak Hindi. I speak uh, Arabic too. How did you come to know yeah. all these languages? I am so impressed by people who can speak more than one language. I think it's just the fact that I, uh, I put my interest in it. You, you could say it's one of my talents. You know, like you put your passion on something, you definitely could do it. That's how I made it, you know. I forgot to put another one, Burmese. I'm not trying to brag about it. I'm learning. Oh, no, I totally get it. You, you should be kind of bragging about it, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to learn Spanish right now. Me too. You're probably going to beat me, though. When you know a language, you also understand the culture a little bit more. Would you agree with that? You have to. You kind of have to, yeah. With all of the languages you know, could you tell me something that you really like or appreciate about that culture that you learned by learning the language? Hatred, it was, it was taught to people. Even though uh, Malaysians are always full of faces, but the culture is wonderful. Like this one best friend that I told you from Malaysia. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the, the way they treat me. They don't treat me like an outsider. What do you like most about the Rohingya culture? I think the friendly, the attractions, they also always attract people to get to know them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. What do you appreciate most about the American culture? They fight for their right. They let their voices to be heard. They are brave. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that. What do you appreciate about the Hindi culture? The language. It's a beautiful uh, language. It's a beautiful language, yeah. You also said you speak Arabic, but that's because the Quran is written in Arabic, correct? Uh -huh. Do you know people from the Arabic culture? I used to date a girl. <laughs> so I learned from her uh, the love for the religion. Love for the religion, true. For the, for the God, for the people. What languages did I miss? Probably Burmese. Burmese, yes. What do you appreciate about the Burmese culture? The traditional uh, clothes. They're beautiful. What is the most important thing you want people to know about you, Shakur? I'm a like, really simple and reasonable man. And I, I wanted people to know this about me. I am no leader, you know. And I'm just doing a little part to change the, the world. You know what I'm saying? I was, I was brought here by the government. For the war, we have to flee to another country. But I don't like the system at all. But I do love the people. I hear that a lot. They're like really nice. To those people out there from, you know, outsider, just ignore those people who are doing bad to you because there's more, more nice people in this land you know, than bad people. Oh, that's good to know. A friend of mine told me that, uh, how could you know what is a uh, happiness is before you, before you went to a, uh, a sad, desperate, you would say darkness. Mm -hmm. You can't, I mean, you just can't. I mean, 
you have to go through uh, sorrow, pain, to be able to know what is a happiness. Without without darkness, how would you know this is this is a good thing? You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. There's even a quote that goes with that. The quote comes from Alexander Dumas in The Count of Monte Cristo. And in there he says, he who has felt the deepest grief is best able to experience supreme happiness. That strikes me as you, Shakur. You said you experienced a lot of racism and discrimination in Malaysia. Have you experienced any personally since you've moved to the United States? Um, just once, and it wasn't a big deal, just once. But you seem very forgiving. I mean, these people are just don't understand it, and I get it. I try to um, see it in a different way. Since I was a kid, I always try to uh, uh, forgive people, even without hearing an apology, you know. It's, it's also a quote, you know, um, and I really like that. But I think since I was a kid, I, I'm always stuck with this uh, belief that you should forgive, you know, even without you, you didn't hear an apology because it makes you feel better. Uh, otherwise, I can be so mad, so angry to my to Malaysia for not letting me go to school, and not letting me have a, a peaceful job, a peaceful home, a peaceful family, a peaceful country. Mm -hmm. I can be mad with them mm -hmm. until I die. But I just thought, okay, you know, uh, it's not going to help me getting any better. I'm just going to move on. You are very inspirational for me. I love hearing that you just choose to forgive. It's just the best way to live, the best way to move on, and the best way to have a good life. Because if you hold on to that anger, it doesn't lead anywhere positive. Since I were brought here, I'm gonna go to uh, to the army to serve for about five years to return their favor. You are. Yeah, I am. I kind of am. Oh, well, congratulations! When do you plan to do that? I'm kind of working on my GED right now. The, you know, a high school or GED certificate to go to army. It's probably by next year. That's not the only reason I want to go to uh, uh, to the army. The people are so nice. Um, they also wanted to fight that we were brought here, you know, because to you guys, you guys are fighting for the immigrant and refugee, you know, you know, like how many times Trump's tried to block those uh, immigrant and refugee from coming to this country, mm -hmm. but you guys fought for that. I really appreciate it. And I wanted to do something in return. You're so amazing. You're such an inspiration to me. Wow. Let's close with these questions. Yeah, absolutely. What is your best tip for making the world a better place? Okay, I got two. Oh, yay. <laughs> Good. Okay. Two for one. Two for one. Number one is, you know, when you see others, learn to see them as a brother instead of two distant stranger. I love it. Uh, yes. Yeah. I'll remember and that. It's a really, it's a really deep, you know, Meaning, not everyone can do that. We have to start doing that. Yes, I, we do. I agree. And what's your second tip? When given the choice uh, to being right or being kind, choose kind. Choose kind. I love choose that. Kind. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Because you cannot change the world with the system right now. 
So you got to be kind to everyone. I mean, like literally every, every human being, uh, you know, alive in this world. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent tip. What are you the most thankful for? First, for my family. I love my family. Who doesn't, right? Right. (laughs) Um, I'm going to tell you this. I know everyone would say this, but my mom, she is like the best uh, mom in the world. She has sacrificed everything for us. If there's a competition of being the best mom, my mom would be the first one. Your mom wins. (laughs) My mom wins. I think that is so great. Your mom should win, Shakur. I vote for your mom. Yeah, and also I am grateful for my for my life, for my for the second chance that I've been given and come here. You know, mm-hmm. that's like a second chance for me, a new life. You know, it's it's basically a new life for me. I'm grateful for the job that I have right now. I'm grateful, you know, to have few people who I can call friends, mentors, and as a uh, neighbor. You're yeah, a lucky kinda, man. I am. Are. <laughs> All right. Last question. What is your favorite quote? I got three. Ah, four, actually. Four. Oh, you are my type of person. I love it. This is great. I'm going to learn so many more new quotes. Go ahead. (laughs) Number one, all I'm trying to do is survive and make good out of the dirty, nasty, and unbelievable lifestyle that they gave me. It's from uh, Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. Ah, love it. That's beautiful. The second one is, my mama always used to tell me, if you can't find something to live for, you best find something to die for. Also Tupac Shakur. Wow, he's been influential for you, hasn't he? I I think I got to relate to him. The third one, a white has no superiority over a black nor a black has any superiority over white except by pity and good actions. Um, it was said by uh, Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. Wow, that's in the Quran, huh? In the Quran, in the Hadith. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Okay, and the last um, one? Yeah, the fourth one is you do not do evil to those who do evil to you but you deal with them with forgiveness and kindness it's also you know from prophet muhammad peace be upon him so you learned this deep lesson of forgiveness from uh the quran yes from the quran yeah um i know in america there's a lot of people who you know who doesn't like muslim and I, i get it I get it. There was a time when some people use Muslim as a, you know, excuses to do bad things to others. Uh, but I'm just saying, to judge people with their actions, not with their religion. You know, how yes. many Christians, how many Christians out there are doing exactly. bad things, right? Exactly. And I'm not. I'm not gonna give a good example of me as a good Muslim. I'm not gonna give that because I am not. I'm a I practice, but sometimes I snap. <laughs> I, As we all do. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. But Muslim, Quran, um, the Hadith, all the, uh, you know, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, teaches us about love, 
just love your neighbor no matter who they are what their religion are uh, they are all your brother and sister the truth is the truth, the truth no matter truth. where you get find it right right that's a true statement um, and it doesn't matter what religion you are that remains true and right. i appreciate you sharing that very much thank you My time with Shakur was delightful and incredibly enlightening. He never stops smiling. He is so optimistic and hopeful, it's contagious. Nothing holds him back, not the lack of schooling or even the horrific loss of his dad. And a huge shout out to SpongeBob for teaching Shakur English. Thank you. I love how he's even picked up the all important phrase, yada, yada, yada. Although I was inspired by his whole story, the part that really convicted me was how he stayed so forgiving. He chose forgiveness time and time again. Thank you, Shakur, for sharing your heart, your story, and what you've learned in your journey of life so far. When given the choice of being kind or right, may we all choose kind, like you have. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.